We are still in our series on gospel giving living. We've obviously looked so far at three different topics, thanksgiving, forgiving, and grace giving. And today, I get the privilege of speaking on ministry giving, okay? And if I'm honest, we don't speak about this subject very much at all. So if you're here for the first time, you know, the temptation has become very apologetic. And I sort of do want to be apologetic if you're here for the first time, but at the same time, the Bible says so much about money and about giving. And um, if I'm honest, as a church, we've probably swung in one direction where we don't look at this subject really at all, um, simply because of our culture and our society out there that actually sees the church focusing, and this is some churches, they see that actually there's a perspective out there that the church is simply after your money, okay? And as Freedom Church, I think we probably swum to the end of not wanting to back that up in any way. And so actually we veer away and we swing in the total opposite direction of not touching on money at all. But I want to say money is such an important topic in the Bible. And do you know what? It's the main subject of nearly half of the parables that Jesus told. Um, In addition, these are some facts that are out there, one in every seven verses in the New Testament deals with the topic of giving. And the Bible offers verses, 500 verses on prayer, fewer than 500 verses on faith, and more than 2,000 verses on money. Okay? And these are some of the things that you may have heard about money. But what I want to say when it comes to money, there is a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. And I want to say this, as a church, we've just had our vision um, talk done about four weeks ago, then we've had our budget and vision evening. And do you know, as a church, we are in a really healthy place um, from, from a money perspective. We have a lot of money in the bank that God has built there for purposes to, to reach out into this city and into the nations. And so the other thing that I'm pleased about is we're tackling this foundation of healthy giving when we're in a very healthy place as a church. It's not that we're coming to you as a church going, man, to actually manage our budget, we really need you to step up and give. Actually, that could be quite awkward. And we're not in that place, thankfully. And so this morning, I want to speak on a passage. And I want to say this passage is, is one of the most misused or abused passages actually, when it comes to looking at giving in the Bible. And it's what you might see or might have heard um, prosperity preachers using on the God channel. Sometimes you might have seen, um, I guess, in Africa, it's renowned for this prosperity teaching. And it's where people or preachers are encouraging people, come in, come and give a hundred pounds and God will give you a thousand. And you know, that is hard teaching to hear. And I think that's one of the other reasons why we back away from speaking about giving because there's this reputation of the church that speaks up money on this length. And um, I want to say that I think this passage, it's used in that context, but I actually think this passage, when we look at it carefully, it actually teaches us the very opposite approach of prosperity teaching. I want to say this passage helps us to look at the motivation of the heart when we're looking at giving. There are three motivations that we look at when we're giving. One, we can give out of guilt. Secondly, we can give out of greed, that's your prosperity. 
And third, we can give out of grace. And I want to suggest, I think we can all guess which one I'm speaking on this morning. But I want to suggest two of these are are bad motivations to give on. And there's one that is where Paul wants to take us in this passage. So, if you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We are going to be looking at quite a few verses, okay, in this this morning. I want to look at 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9. Because I think they go hand in hand in helping us to understand some really good principles of generous giving. So, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that, is, that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. I just want to stop there a second. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian churches. And he is bringing to them, actually, the Macedonian church's reputation, saying, listen, we're raising some money here for a church in Jerusalem. And this is what the Macedonians have been able to do. And there's great news here, because, do you know, in the first few verses, we recognize that the grace of God has been showing to poor people as well as rich people. Okay, we have a church that is in poverty, the Macedonian churches. They're actually in a lot of hardship um, as they're being persecuted for the gospel, as people are not buying from them in the marketplaces, as they're um, being dealt with in a certain way because they're believing in the gospel and they're following Jesus. And I think as we first start this, if, you, if you're here and you're the kind of person, and some of us are here, we're the kind of people, when we hear generosity and giving, we think automatically that this is for the rich people. We think that this is for the Bill and Melinda Gates of this world, who should honestly be giving, right, rightfully. There's this mentality, well, I can't be generous because I can't afford to be. And this text, as we look at it, it's actually trying to draw us in to say, no, no, this, this is actually for everyone, okay? The amount that you can give may look very different to some people around you, but this is a grace gift for all. It is for everyone. We're going to keep reading. Verse 3. For I testify that you gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. I'm just going to stop there a second as well. Do you know, I think when we think about giving, some of us... Treat this like it's like a tax. And you know what? None of us honestly like paying tax, do we? Let's be totally honest. It's one of those things we look at that we have to give, but we don't actually like. It's not like we're going, great, giving my tax to the government. If you are, well done. You've got a great heart. But actually, that's our mentality often. And do you know, for the, for the Jews, they have been used to having to tithe. We've looked at it before, actually, Melchizedek. It started with this, this priest who came, Melchizedek. And so the Jewish nation got this idea that you would tithe 10%, the first 10% of the fruit of what you have. And so actually, their culture has been one of having to, okay? I've got to live under the law. I've got to be able to give because that's what actually is my sacrifice to God. And actually... We're recognizing here, as Paul tackles this passage and he looks at the heart of the Macedonians, 
their response is one of recognizing the sacrificial giving of Jesus that he had given up for them. And he says, he writes, that they gave with overflowing joy and entirely on their own. He's simply saying, I didn't have to beg these guys to give. They were the ones who came to Paul urgently pleading with the privilege, the privilege of being able to give and sharing in this service with the saints. They were like, where do we sign up, Paul? Can you see the difference in a have to and a privilege, a grace gift of, man, we want to be able to give to our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem who are under hardship. We're going to keep going. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord's and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. You notice grace just constantly mentioned in these passages. This grace of giving, okay? That's what Paul's wanting to get over. Notice, we don't give because of guilt. I must give. That's what guilt is. I've got, I have to. It's what they've actually been used to in one sense. I have to give. We don't give because of greed. I want. That's what Paul's wanting to get over. We give because of grace. Because we have seen what God has given to us and we want to. We want to be able to give. Now, the reason I wanted to look at another passage as well, we're going to come back to this. But I want to look at 2 Corinthians 9 because... I think when it comes to giving, there's some great principles that we can learn from 2 Corinthians 9. So we're just going to read that from verse 6 onwards. And just bear with us, because this is quite a lot of Bible. Normally we keep, keep to a, a few verses. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not supplying the needs of the Lord's people, is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you approved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. When we look at these three reasons for giving, when it comes to guilt, do you know, I could probably preach a sermon that would actually guilt you into giving, if I really wanted to. I could talk about how much stuff that we actually have in this nation, and how little stuff everybody else has. 
I could bring you back to the Old Testament scripture and make you feel like actually that if you're not tithing at least 10% of the money that you earn, then you're clearly not walking in step with God. I could guilt you into making you feel like you've got to give out of a compulsion. I could even probably sell you the idea that if you consistently give and you generously give, then God will give back to you generously with finance. That you will prosper immensely. I could, I could make you look at my life and go, do you know what? This is what happens if, if, if you follow God and you give generously. I could probably do that. But you know what? The truth is that both of those motivations to give are bad and not true. And Paul is clear that God wants cheerful givers, okay? Cheerful givers. To give not out of compulsion, but out of grace. And, you know, to help us to understand this passage, we really do need to take a look at some of the sowing and reaping concepts. And the problem is, when we talk about sowing and reaping, we're not farmers really anymore, are we? None of us have a huge amount of experience in farming. Ryan does. Should have you up here talking about sowing and reaping, Ryan. He sows grass a lot. Not that type of grass. Um, but you know what? Sorry about that. Do you know, we can just nip down to the supermarket, can't we, when we want some food? And we can go and get it whenever we want. We have everything sort of, you can nip online and get it delivered to your house now. And so when it comes to understanding Godly principles around giving, this is so key. We're going to find out why sowing and reaping is so key to understanding principles of generous giving and giving in grace. And it's a very, very thoughtful metaphor that is used here in Scripture. But I want to lay some foundations for us just to help us as we go about looking at this so that we know what we're talking about with sowing and reaping. So just a few, a few facts for us, a few helpful things to understand for sowing and reaping. Firstly, we only sow because we want a crop. Okay? It's really, really important to understand. We don't sow because we feel it's a bad thing to own seeds. Got a bit of seed here. We'll be looking at in a sec. We don't sow because we go, I've got so much seed, it's a bad thing, I feel guilty, I'm just going to get rid of it. That's not why farmers sow, is it? It's not that it's the love of seed is the root of all evil. <laughs> I better just get rid of it all. That's guilt, okay? The language that's used when we're talking about sowing and reaping is not about sowing out of duty or compulsion it's actually a language of ambition, of reward, of fruit, of hard work. Okay? So we, don't, we only sow because we want a crop. We don't just get rid of it because we think we shouldn't have it. Secondly, another important thing to know about sowing and reaping is that when we sow seeds, it lands in the, in the soil and it dies, okay? Your seeds die. And that is really, really important to know when it comes to sowing and reaping. Jesus says a lot about 
this, doesn't he? John 12, 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if, if it dies, it bears much fruit. So when we sow, when we sow seeds, we're actually expecting our seeds to die when we sow them. And what we're doing is we're trusting God that he will make it fruitful beyond the grave. And it's the same with money. When we give, can I just imagine as a farmer, I decided to tie a piece of string to seed and I throw it in to the soil, but I've got to attach to the string. And I'm watching it and I'm watching it and I'm waiting to see what it's going to produce. And do you know what? Maybe it's not producing as fast as I want it to produce. Or maybe it starts producing fruit that I think, that's not what I sowed in that field. So you get the string and you start pulling it out. You go, ah, 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 nope, I'm not letting that one catch. I want to suggest that's what we can be like a little bit with our money. When we give, we're trusting that our money will bear fruit. But I want to say this, there's no guarantees. We give in faith, trusting that it will die and that God will raise the dead with it through salvation. Aren't we? That's what we're doing as we give. No strings attached. We're trusting God that as it dies, he will raise it into fruit, into a harvest. Thirdly, I think the other thing about sowing and reaping is there's a waiting period. We all have to wait for the harvest. We don't instantly get back what we have sown. It is not instantaneous. There's a death and resurrection principle at play when it comes to sowing and reaping. And I think that's the reason, actually, when I think about the age that Jesus came in, that he came not in today's age of the microwave oven and mobile phones and everything on tap. Because actually, there's something that we truly need to understand. When we talk about the principles of sowing and reaping, we're talking about the principles of hard work and waiting for the fruits. We all know it, don't we? We get in from work and we stick our meal into the microwave. And you bing five minutes and you, you go along, you go off, make a cup of tea, you come back, it's still going. What? It's taking too long. And that is the mentality that we live in. I know for my kids, I think about TV channels. We had four channels growing up. Honestly, I mean, here I am on another rant, aren't I? <laughs> but they've got all these channels whenever they want, at any time of day, to watch. They're not used to waiting. This principle of sowing and reaping and waiting for this next generation is going to be even tougher than it is for some of us. But you know, when a farmer sows that seed, and this is thinking back to these days, when they sowed that seed, to get that meal on that plate, it was about seven months that they had to wait between sowing the seed and waiting for the harvest to come. And you know, that's true not just of money, isn't it? That's true for a lot of things. As we sow into our kids as parents, okay, often there's a lot of hard work there, and we don't see the fruits. I'm still waiting. <laughs> it's not true. 
But often it takes real time, doesn't it, to start to see the fruit as parents, as we invest, as we sow into our kids. As we pray. I think prayer requires that time of waiting. We constantly keep on praying, keep on praying. And one day we have a prayer that we see just supernaturally answered. It wasn't that on that one day just something happened and we prayed an extra special prayer. Actually, the fruit of the prayer that we've been doing has come to fruition. Okay? But it's taken time. We've had to wait for the answers. I think when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to reaching out, I think it's funny, as I, as I look at Dave and Jack and Sheila and Kids Club, this comes into light more and more. As I look at Heidi and think, actually, there they were doing Kids Club. They were sowing seeds into kids at a very young age. And actually, the fruit came much later. And they're starting to see real fruit come out of the back of some of these guys who were part of Kids Club at a young age. And it's taken years to suddenly see the harvest of the fruit that was sown right back then. It happens as we look at Christian character. Okay, We all want to have great characters, don't we? But actually, these things don't happen overnight. They take tens of years to develop good, godly character. Okay, And we have to wait. We have to work hard. We have to sow that seed and wait for God to bring in the harvest. A couple of other truths when it comes to sowing and reaping. You can't make crops grow. doesn't matter what you do. doesn't matter how you speak to them. It doesn't matter what you might be watering them with. You just can't make them grow. Come on! It just doesn't happen. Actually, we have to trust God to bring the sun and the rain, as he does, and to bring growth. We cannot make something grow in and of ourselves. It's totally dependent on God. It's really important to know. We can be faithful with the seed that God has given us, but he does the rest. Okay? Another thing to know. Sorry, I'm still going on, on, on sowing and reaping here. I hope, you, hope you're following. When you eventually harvest something, you get something different to what you've sown. Okay, really, really important point when it comes to sowing and reaping. You get barley, or you get rapeseed, or you get wheat. When you scatter seed, you get something different. That's why you planted it in the first place. You don't scatter seeds to get a harvest of seeds. You understand that? Sounds like a crazy thing to do when you think about it in that way, doesn't it? You don't scatter seeds for more seeds. You scatter seed to get something better than the seed that you grow. So if you're a farmer, it's about that wheat and that barley to make bread. But if you sow money, you want something different. Okay? You're not looking for more money. Really important principle. Another one. And we learn this from the passage. The more you sow, the more you reap. I want to say this. It's not on a one-to-one scale. That's not how the kingdom of God works. We actually know even in farming, it's not on a one-to-one scale. Birds come along, they pick up seeds. 
some soil that it lands on is not as good as others. You know, disasters, droughts can affect the seeds that have been sown. But I want to say this, because this principle works across. If we only sow in this little patch here, then we can only harvest in this little patch. But if we sow lavishly, then we will reap a large crop. That is a biblical principle, and it's a farming principle that works alongside it. If we only sow in this little patch, you're only going to reap in that patch. But if we sow lavishly, we can expect a lavish harvest. Now, these are all obvious farming principles, but they all point us to the motive that Paul wants us to understand in this passage about giving, that we give out of grace, entrusting what we have to God, that as we sow it, he will make it fruitful, that we will reap a harvest. We don't give again out of guilt any more than the farmer does. Oh, I must get rid of this bag of seed. I shouldn't have it. It's just not why we sow. We don't give out of greed. Oh, I want more seed. We give out of grace. And so we're going to come back to this 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7 says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You're reading that, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but cheerfully. You know, this verse shows us it's actually possible to be a cheerful giver, yet also living in extreme poverty. Those two things do not cancel each other out. And you know, this is so important for us to understand, especially if you're in debt, if you're a student, if you're unemployed at the minute. And you know, I've met lots of people who have said, you know, I really do want to give, but at the minute I just don't have the money to give. And I honestly want to sensitively challenge that perspective in life. You may not be able to give what others can give, but I honestly think there is something you can give. God isn't looking at how much we give. He's not looking at that. He's not looking at those who have more resources to give more money, thinking they're on my A-list because they're giving more. It's not how we views it at all. I want to repeat this. It's really important again. God does not need our money. He doesn't need it. All of the resources of heaven and earth are already his. This is much more about our heart attitude towards him. And I think, honestly, almost everybody here is in a position to give something. You know, Matt mentioned it in his preach. He said, just being in this country, growing up in this country, puts us on the top 20% of wealth in the world. Just living in this country. You know, maybe if you're an asylum seeker, who's just stepped off a boat, then maybe you're not in a position to give anything. But this passage really helps us to see that the grace of giving is to be enjoyed by everyone, no matter of your financial circumstances. 
And notice Paul doesn't talk about specific amounts again. In the Old Testament, I've mentioned people were expected to give a tithe. That's 10% of everything they earned back to the Lord. But neither here nor anywhere in the New Testament are we given a fixed amount. We're actually asked to give as the Lord has prospered us, as our love for him dictates, as managers of his wealth, as those who have been rescued by him from utter, utter bankruptcy before God. The onus of the decision of what to give lies purely with us. And we see lots of examples, don't we? Even in the New Testament, we see in Mark 12 that Jesus was watching how people gave. And he comments on this widow that comes along. And it says, and he comments about her sacrificial giving. And it says, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Now calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all others. They gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything all she had to live on. He's aware that she is sacrificially given everything she had. And Jesus picks up on this. And to be honest, in a pastoral perspective, having been a church leader for some years, I found that often it's actually people who tend to have less who tend to give more. It's interesting, isn't it? Because they just love giving away. They're so used to giving away and receiving. And it's often those who have more who actually struggle to give anything. And I heard a great story by um, a preacher, by a guy called Andrew Wilson, who's a teacher within our family of churches. And so I'm going to tell this story. I totally believe him. He said it was absolutely true. But he talks about a guy in a church, and they were having a special offering for the church, for the community around them. And um, he was a guy who didn't have any money. And they were praying at the end of the service before they gave. And this guy said to the pastor, they said, look, I'm, I'm sorry, I just I don't have anything to give. I'd love to be able to give, but I, I don't have anything. And so the pastor prayed for him. And she said, Lord, I want to pray for him that actually you will provide the resources for him to be able to give into this offering. And... Um, he felt real faith as he did this. And he's one of these guys who walks around with a metal detector. And we don't see him so much here. Often you see them on the beaches, don't you, walking along with their metal detectors. We saw them just a few weekends away, uh, weekends ago when we were in Wales. And, um, you know, normally, I think, I think of my metal detectors in there. They're just getting this tat, aren't they? Just a tin can. You know, you dug it up, great. What are we going to do with a tin can? Put it in the bin. But actually... This guy decides in faith that he's going to go out and he's going to give to God whatever he finds. So he drives out one day and he sees, I don't know if you see it, where the sun just peeks through the clouds. My wife calls them angel rays. They're obviously not, but... <laughs> you, know, you know how you know, some, sometimes, you know, sometimes it, just, it just makes a mark where it comes through. And he's driving along and he sees... This coming down onto this field. So he decides, you know what? I'm going to go to that field and I'm going, to, I'm going to go for it there. So he gets out of his car. He gets his metal detector out. He's where the sun is just peeking through on this field. Uh, 
beep, 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 and he digs it up. And actually what he finds is he finds a ring. And this ring is an Anglo-Saxon ring, okay, that he's just dug up. First time he's digging up, it's an Anglo-Saxon ring. And so he takes this ring and he gets it exchanged and it's it's worth thousands of pounds. And so he takes that money and he puts all of it into the offering and he praises God. But the story doesn't end there. And honestly, this story is true. It doesn't end there. He actually decides he's going to have another go at this. And so he gets out in his car again. He's driving along and there's a rainbow in the sky. And we all know, don't we? What's at the end of a rainbow? So he drives along and he finds this area where he thinks is the, the end of the rainbow. And he digs up and starts digging. Beep, 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 And he digs up and he ends up getting this Viking bracelet. It's amazing. And together, these two items come to £50,000 that he's able to give into the offering. And, you know, I'm really not saying go out and get yourself a metal detector. (laughs) I don't think this is going to happen to you. But what I am saying is it's wonderful, isn't it, that God is sovereign over where Anglo-Saxons drop their rings. And secondly, isn't it wonderful that God wants everyone to share in the grace of giving? Okay? I know for my wife and I, when we first got married, I was brought up with the principles of wanting to give. I understood the grace of God on my life, and we had committed that we were going to give every single month, first of the month, uh, into the offering at church. That is what we felt was the right thing to do. And Tor was working part-time. I, I'd just come out of university, just got my first job, wasn't earning a huge amount, had a mountain of debt, obviously. And somehow, in that first year, I wasn't very lucky with cars. Uh, my Ash will tell you. We, um, I managed to write off three cars in that first year. <laughs> I didn't like them. I think we, we started naming our cars, and after... After we wrote off three, after naming them, we decided we were never going to name a car again. But it honestly wasn't my fault, was it, Matt? <laughs> Matt was in an accident with me where a taxi driver just swerved across us. But anyway, we were paying out on cars for, these, um, for the insurance. And then on top of that, one of the cars that we bought the main part, the worst part that could have possibly gone went on the car. And we ended up paying out £900 on this part for a car. And I remember this one month, I was getting to the point where we were like, literally, we are not, we paid out on the first of the month our money into tithing into the church. And, and I knew we could not afford the bills that were coming in. I was maxed up on my overdraft facility uh, that I had from being a student. And we were just praying, saying, Lord... You need to provide. And I remember, again, just by the grace of God, we had a couple in the church who came to us and says, we've been praying, and we felt God say to give you this money. And I can, I can tell you story after story after story, honestly, in my life, of the grace of God as he has heard our prayers, as he responded in different ways. And, and, and do you know, honestly, a lot of the time, 
he doesn't respond in that financial side. But he's faithful. And um, it's just coming back again. So why do we give? Yes, do you know, it's a grace gift to be able to give generously and cheerfully. But it's honestly because we recognize, don't we, the God we serve, the God who loves us, who is fundamentally giving up everything for us. We recognize that, don't we? We recognize that actually everything that we have, we're simply stewarding what he's given us. And because we've been given the power of the Spirit, because the Spirit of God lives and dwells in us, do you know what? Our supernatural tendency now is to become Christ-like, is to have God's heart, okay? That's what we're, that's our supernatural tendency. So when it comes to understanding wanting to serve the poor, Spirit lives and dwells in us. It's making us more like him. It's given us a heart for the poor. Where once we didn't have one, where once it was all about self and greed, now it's different. I want to say this again, and I'm going to keep reiterating this. We don't give out of guilt or out of greed. And I was just thinking about, do you know, imagine if the prosperity teachers were actually right, okay, in what they teach. Listen, you give £100 here and God will give you 10 times back. Then can you imagine this analogy as a farmer and how that would actually work out? You'd have at harvest time, the laborers come running back in with sacks full of seed. Woohoo! We've got more seeds. We've brought the harvest in. It doesn't make any sense. We have more seeds. Okay, what do we do with it now? Let's go and sow more seed for more seed. Do you understand why the prosperity gospel just doesn't work when we understand the principles of sowing and reaping? We scatter more seeds to get something better. I scatter seed to get bread, says the farmer. I scatter seed to reap a harvest. I give money to reap a harvest. And if we look at the end of chapter 9, we see what is this harvest for us as Christians as we give our money, it tells us, verse 10, you can't see it there, but it's a harvest of righteousness, okay? That's one of the things that we're giving and expecting God to bring to us is a harvest of righteousness. Verse 11, it's so that we can be generous on every occasion and that it will result in thanksgiving to God. This is the harvest that we're looking for, that we can expect as we sow our seed to him. Verse 12, it supplies the needs of the Lord's people. The harvest that we want to be able to do is to serve the poor, to serve those in need. It's a harvest of thanksgiving to God. Verse 13, it's actually so that others will see and will praise God because they see our heart for him. That's the harvest that we are looking for. And you know, there are many other types of harvest that we can be looking for. But I was thinking about some of the characters in the New Testament and thinking about some of the harvests that they yielded. And so we've got this example, haven't we, of Barnabas in there. 
the encourager. And we're actually told that he sells a field. And we find out that God gives him ten fields back. And there's lots of Anglo-Saxon rings in them. No, it's not the case. He sells a field and we find out that actually he serves a life on the road. He has quite a difficult life of being persecuted. But actually when we look at his harvest, I think there are still churches around in the Mediterranean today who have come from his ministry, his harvest. You look at Paul. He gave up this amazing training as a Pharisee. He gave up, actually, this reputation that he had. And his life was not easy either. He was stoned. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was bitten by snakes. He had hardship and difficulty. He was rebuked. He was betrayed. This isn't a life that you look at and you think, man, this is easy. But the fruit that came from Paul's ministry, we can see even in this passage, it was amazing. The harvest. And that's why when we hear prosperity preachers preaching on this passage and saying, it's a prosperity gospel, it angers me. Because it's an abuse of the, of the passage. The simple fact is that when we give to God, you know, we may see financial gain. But so often and we'll see this in our own lives, and we see it in Scripture, that is not the case. This passage points us to anything but a prosperity gospel. And also, the other thing to mention is, this uh, passage, the offering, was made not to line the pockets of the preacher. That's not what this passage is about at all. It was an offering to the poor in the church in Jerusalem for those who were in extreme needs. So let's remind ourselves, this, we give not out of guilt or greed. Do you know, just thinking about greed, it's no different to pagan worship if we give out of that motivation. You know, we saw it, didn't we, back, the Romans were, were brilliant at this. They would give an offering to the sea god when they went traveling, just for that safe travel, that protection. They give an offering to the sun gods to bring in the harvest for their crops. <laughs> That's greed. That's for self. Okay? We also saw them giving out of a means of guilt. They didn't want to anger the gods, you know? And they felt like they had to because otherwise the gods would be angry and they would get punished. That was the motivations for their giving. And you know, I love the fact that, especially at this time of year, we get reminded so often of this principle of giving and giving generously. Every time that we pass a field, we get to see in creation, don't we? That what we do is we scatter something and what God does with it. It's very simple, isn't it? We simply scatter our seeds and we wait for it to die. And then we wait, and we wait for the harvest that God brings in. We renounce our claim on it, and it bears fruit. And every time we pass a field, we see this principle at work. I had a seed, I gave it up, I let it die, 
And I trusted God to bring the sun and the rain to the land, and I waited for the harvest. And then as we reflect further, we understand it when it comes to giving. It's exactly the same principle at work, isn't it? I get out my wallet, I give something up, and I let it die. Because I trust that God, who brings his kingdom in, his kingdom rule, through the vehicle of the church, will bring a harvest from my giving. And do you know what is even better? As we reflect further on this analogy, we reflect that it doesn't only just work when it comes to farming. It doesn't just work when it comes to our wallets. It works when it comes to the very gospel, doesn't it? God gave himself up. He was willing to die. Go into the ground and die. And then we wait. And we wait for three days. So that resurrection life can break out because he trusted his father who raises the dead so that a harvest of brothers and sisters, a multitude that no one can count from every tribe and tongue and nation will find new life and life in abundance. Isn't it beautiful? So I want to suggest finally that if we give out of guilt then the gospel, when we look at it, is like the cross and no resurrection. We see all the bad bits, but we miss the good news. That's what giving out of guilt is like. I want to suggest if we give out of greed, then we see the resurrection, but we're ignoring the cross. But if we give out of grace, we recognize both the fact of what we do we die to what we want and we wait and new life comes, which is far better than what we've lost. Do you understand that principle? It's great, isn't it? That is the grace of God. I don't know what your experience is in church life. I know for many, they have felt that pressure to give. They felt guilted into it. They felt that pressure of actually... If I do this, I will be wealthier. God will give me financially. I want us to stand and I want us to worship. Because I think the only way that our hearts are transformed is by seeing the gospel at work through Jesus Christ. Is to see the grace that we have been given. As Matt said, we are dust. Okay? We're dust. And yet God in his grace has given us eternal life. Where we deserve death, he has given us life eternally. And we give out of that motivation only.